Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Ultra Rugby Roundup. The more observant among you will have already noted that these are not the dulcet tones of Gareth Hanna, to which you become accustomed, but the distinctly less enthusiastic sound of myself, Jonathan Bradley. Don't be concerned though, it's not that I don't want to be here, it's just the way that I talk. We have a full show ahead as both Ireland's Six Nations and Ulster's Pro 14 seasons came to a close over the weekend and there are no better men to discuss both than Michael Sadler and John Dixon. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. How are we doing? All good here. Yep, all good. Well, we'll start chronologically, so we'll go from the beginning with Ulster. What an odd evening's entertainment that was. I think, for my money, probably one of the stranger games at Kingspan Stadium in recent memory. The upshot of which was seven tries for the hosts, but 13 men for the visitors, which made for a very bizarre looking second half, certainly. I think one of the first things that Dan McFarlane was asked afterwards was, what can you learn from a game like that? And before he sort of caught himself, his initial response was, not much. Is he right in that, Michael? (laughs) What were your takeaways for starters? Yeah, he definitely has a point. I think Johnny uh, <laughs> rightly caught himself before he went down too far down that road. It was, to me, observing it, it almost felt like it, it, it was either very much an end of term occasion or a pre-season friendly. Now, I don't know what the general message was that the guys were sent out with for this game, but uh, and maybe they, they, they weren't sent out with that idea, but maybe it was something that just evolved as this crazy game uh, kind of developed but it's very very hard I think to take anything very much away from it except the fact that there was uh, a great deal of discussion once uh, Zebra had their red card as to exactly what was going to happen whether the, the player who came on saying he couldn't cover it hooker and then the management on the sidelines saying well actually we've sent him on to do that seemed to be almost if you like a highlight but within that I mean you know Ulster did score some good tries it has to be said but you know, I, I don't know what you can really take away from it, playing against one of the weakest teams in the league, and then when they were further, uh, you know, diluted of, of personnel as as the game went on. Uh, but yeah, one of the craziest, craziest games, and then the lights went out, almost as if, you know, we hadn't had enough stuff that, was, that had already been going on. I, you know, a lot of us see the game that Dan might have been looking a little bit at that with Harlequins in mind. Uh, if he was indeed, I, I don't honestly think he'll probably have a great deal um to take away from that, as was perhaps suggested at the very top of the, uh, with your question. And I think if you're sort of thinking back to the red card as a turning point in the game, like I felt a bit sorry for their problem because I don't know if he a hundred percent understood what was being asked of him at the time. And they had that sort of farcical exchange of the team manager asking if he could go and speak to the prop on the pitch and being told that the referee would relay the messages. But, we obviously had a similar sort of situation in the last game at Kingspan Stadium with uh, Marty Moore coming on to play Loosehead. And if he hadn't done so or hadn't felt able to, despite the fact that I think he told us after he hadn't played Loosehead since he was 14, Ulster would have been in the same position of having to go down to 13 men against Leinster. But the Jordy Murphy try for me really sort of summed it up whenever, you know, he was basically underneath the posts, but had half of his teammates and half the pitch outside him it was <laughs> by some distance the biggest overlap and the most numbered <laughs> overlap I think I've ever seen in professional rugby but that and uh, Zebra attacking with uh, all these four man backline moves off their scrum was uh, 
two of the more bizarre patterns in the, that we kept seeing through the second half. But John, you know, Harlequins in mind and even just next season in mind, who impressed you, I suppose, more so than the team performance? Because the team performance, while lacking in fluidity, I thought there were still a few players that showed potential for having earned further minutes down the line. Did anyone, anybody stand out for you? Yeah, I think that um, I totally agree with Michael. It was such a bizarre game. Um, but from my point of view, lots of action to photograph. <laughs> so uh, I had a very long edit uh, on Saturday to do. So it was uh, enjoyable from that point of view for me. But I don't, what can Dan take out of it and who played well? Stuart Moore, for one, whenever he gets the opportunity and gets a run of games, I think Stuart Moore... Uh, has great potential. Um, I really like him as a player coming through nicely. And it was it was good to see, you know, Rob Little again looking dangerous. Uh, he's put his hand up recently. Rob Balakun back uh, with his ha- uh, putting his hand up as well. There's now lots of potential threats in that Ulster backline, um, which, you know, they're all young boys and they're all coming through. And I think, you know, it looks really good for Ulster in the next few years and it's homegrown talent as well, which is even better. Mikey Laurie at 10, and, you know, he's another young lad that, that if he's going to play 10, he needs to get more game time there. And uh, and I think that uh, he showed enough potential to, to sort of say, yep, you deserve you deserve another goal. Whether that would be Harlequins, I doubt it very much. Billy Burns is back and fit, although Billy's obviously injured or took, picked up a knock and didn't play last weekend. So hopefully... He's not too bad. But, uh, you know, up front, Izzy has come through. And I think Nick Timoney's probably playing some of his best rugby that he's played for a long time. So there are a number of players. Oh, David McCann. Forgot David McCann. Oh, he is. He's like, he is really good. Um, very impressed with him and look forward to seeing him. He, he's, he's an unusual type player because he's not tall. He's not a Stevie Ferris, but he has got real go forward in him and he gets across the game line and has a great offloading game which is great to see and with the big man coming next year you know what better player to come into the mix and and, and have young McCann play alongside fantastic well you've broached a subject that has been mentioned in the weekly donal for this episode of looking at the season as a whole and of these debutants that we've seen this season who has stood out for you, Michael? Because, you know, we're looking at the likes of Ethan McElroy. He's played a lot of minutes. John's mentioned is a Chukwu there. He's mentioned Dave McCann. Callum Reid is someone that we've seen come through, play a, a little bit, but possibly with a view to getting more minutes down the track, given the loose head position. What do we think about the latest crop of players that have come through over this Pro 14 season as a whole, if not on just on Friday night? I, yeah, I've been I've been pretty impressed. Um, we've spoken quite a lot about it, really, the way Dan has mixed and matched. But some of them, those a lot of those guys who've come through have actually looked quite comfortable. Ethan McElroy has played well. He's been in, he's been out, but you know when he when he's been brought in, he's he's played very well. Callum Reid as well, um, as you mentioned, another guy, Cormac is a Chukwu. Uh, again, you know he you know it's the same I suppose as Callum. They look really good at Australia level. And then you wondered what they've looked like, you know, when they were brought in. And they haven't looked out of place. Now, admittedly, you could also make the counter-argument that they're not playing against the leading, some of the leading lights in the league. But you've got to start somewhere. So those guys, I think, have really 
uh, really, you know, if you like, Sean, as is David McCann. And they're all, of course, on a learning curve. They're always on a learning curve. But to start them at this point and to throw them in and have them involved, which wouldn't have always been the case in the past, it surely can only be a positive development going forward as Dan tries to build, you know, a really, really strong squad with depth, which can finally challenge, hopefully finally challenge, you know, the, the Leinster dominance of this league. Though having said that, of course, that's going to change. If we're led to believe we're going to get a Pro 16, uh, that's, going to, that's going to alter and there are going to be others, some very strong, presumably South African sides in it as well. But uh, no, I've been really impressed. And I mean, Bigger's already men mentioned Stuart Moore. And again, in and out of the side, He's done some good things. He's, he's made errors. All these guys have made errors, but they've got to learn. And this is an ideal opportunity, I think, for them to come through. And I mean, next year, you know, we're hearing about people, people like Tom Stewart, who hopefully will be fit, who, who, who may get a look, uh, a look in as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, you couldn't say, I think, that any of them, if you like, have really looked out of place when they've been involved. And, and that's a testimony to the quality they are and the preparation that they've had to take this step. Yeah, that's interesting because nobody's really fallen away. Nobody's come in and you thought that guy needs to go away and play a few more A games yeah. or in a bygone era, play a few more club games. One thing I think that jumped out at me from the team selection, certainly for Friday, was Ethan McElroy at fullback. Now, Robert Balakoon has come back and looks incredibly sharp for someone he didn't play in a year. So if we assume that he has the right wing nailed down, we assume that Jacob has the left wing nailed down when he's here and when he's fit. 15 becomes this really interesting position for Ulster moving forward because if McRory can show that he can play there, that creates just a different element to the back three. Obviously, Mike Laurie plays into this and Will Rob Allen, who we saw as a water carrier on Friday night, sort of been forgotten about, but, uh, but still here. And then Rob Little as well um, has probably had... Almost a bounce back season, if you like. Um, I know the semi final against Edinburgh obviously was last season and stuff, so maybe it started last season, but has carried that into this campaign. So, what do we think about fullback and the possibility for Ethan McElroy to stake a claim there? Um, well, Rob Little is another one can play fullback. Hmm. I mean, you have Mike Laurie, Rob Little, Jacob Stockdale, Ethan McElroy, and, and Will Addison. You five, my goodness. That's a heck of a lot of you know richness there. But anybody, to be honest, nowadays the modern back three player has to be able to play in all three positions, and you'll see that moving forward as, as you know in international rugby it's the same. So I you might say you're a fullback, but you should be also you have the pace to play in the wing, and again have the, the be comfortable under the high ball. And I think Rob Little. And Jacob, they all have that, but just who is the best out of that bunch? Well, I think probably Daniel will, will mix and match, you know, um, who's available, who's injured, what's happening, who needs to be managed or rested. I think he's got that position as well and truly covered. And and the number of players there that, you know, are homegrown too, fantastic. It's almost an embarrassment of riches, actually, isn't it? You've got almost too many people now who can do that. But <laughs> I guess these days you do mix and match, don't you? Because you, you know, that's what people do. I think we joked a few weeks ago that if um, this was Leinster and had this many young back three options, then people would be talking about sending a few of them elsewhere. But um, <laughs> uh, Big Jim has asked about Harlequins. We're not going to go into Harlequins too much this week because we will be previewing that uh, almost exclusively next week because we'll have nothing else to, uh, to talk about really. But just before we move on from Ulster on the Ireland, we've got 
A few more Ulster related questions looking at the big picture. So Ben has asked about the likelihood of the Rainbow Cup and or, and or Lions going ahead. For me, those two things are linked together because the Rainbow Cup, as much as part of it is unlocking this participation fee from the South African sides that we've talked about all season, it's also going to be used as preparation for the Springboks based within their franchises to prepare for the Lions. So without the possibility of a Lions tour, which has been reported in the UK media anyway, that there could be a decision on this uh, or an, an announcement on this this week, I think we'll see the Rainbow Cup follow suit because with the best will in the world, even if we start with Irish derbies, South African derbies, Welsh derbies, we're still only four weeks away, or less than four weeks away now from when this competition is meant to be starting. So I think you'll see the Lions announcement and the Rainbow Cup announcement will follow very hot on the heels of that. Wait and see again on that one. We've got one from Luke Stewart on Leonie Nakawara, who has obviously been, people have had maybe a closer eye on in the last month or so than they had done in his past games for Glasgow. And Luke Stewart is asking, would Leonie Nakawara get into the Ulster team at present? Ian has responded simply with a brilliantly 90s gif of the aunt from Sabrina the Teenage Witch saying no. So we know how he feels. Michael, what do you think? We talked about this as being a gamble going in. And in a way, personally, I think it's probably good from an Ulster perspective that he's getting games at Glasgow, but Glasgow easily could have said, yes, we're paying you now, but we're building towards the future. And he could have been arriving at Ulster lacking the match practice that he evidently is now. But um, what do you think? And what do you think about the challenge that there's going to be to get this guy ready for next season? Yeah, I mean, to answer the, I suppose, uh, well, the response to the gift, no, he's not getting in the side, in my opinion, at the moment at all. But I think Dan McFarland is aware of this guy. He's 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 coached him before. I think they overlapped at Glasgow. I think it was for season. So he, you'd like to think that, in a way, you know, like with Mark Anscombe and a Nick Williams type relationship, that he may be able to press all the right buttons to get the very best out of this guy. Clearly, a lot of work's going to have to be done to get him right. And also, we, we, we're, we're still going, we're awaiting just exactly where we think Dan sees him in the team. He can obviously play in the back row and the second row. Uh, that could be interchangeable. We don't know. But there's an awful lot of work, I think, has to be done. And also on the mental side as well, just really freshen him up and to get him, you know, because I, I, he's, he's really struggled. Now, I know he's had, he's had injury issues and so on, but he's, he's really struggled. And I, I've seen him play a couple of times for Glasgow. I think my memory played it against Ulster. And there's nothing very impressive there. But of course, he's very, very much lacking in game time. But anyway, no, a lot of work needs to be done. There will be a lot of time to get him right. And as I say, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, as I'm sure Dan is, that he can press the right buttons try and get something special out of him because if they get him playing at a level which he can operate at which we all know he can probably still operate at it will help it will help massively uh, improve Ulster's game in terms of the pace they want to play at and indeed with the offloads now he does throw some crazy offloads Nakarawa but you know he, he he's a different class and he can also help bring on as I think Bigger's already mentioned you know, people like Dave McCann could be helped by having this guy around. Um, at the moment, a lot—I'd say—a lot of work needs to be done. A lot of work, but hopefully they'll have the time to do that. Yeah, well, that's it. I think obviously, like this is what preseason's there for. And while I think we probably spoke whenever the move was announced about 
all the reasons why it might not work. You've hit the nail on the head for me there, Michael. Just the reason that he's here and the reason that Don has brought him in is because he does have that personal relationship and thinks that he can get him back to a level where he's going to be an asset. So I suppose we shall wait and see and judge him when he gets here rather than judge him now on the basis of um, what's going on with Glasgow. Just you know, what, I, what I think is interesting in that, you know, if you look what happened, Nick Williams, when Nick Williams uh, signed for Ulster, a lot of Ulster fans said, you know, uh, what, what are we doing signing Nick Williams? Nick was coached by Mark Anscombe when Mark Anscombe was uh, in Auckland and, I, and Mark knew what buttons to push. And we know the Nick Williams story and what, what he turned out to be for Ulster. So that's going to be the interesting parallel for me mm. to see what Dan can get out of the big fella. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and see if he can get it and get him going and playing well for Ulster. It'd be amazing. Yeah. In fairness, of course, Mark Mark knew Nick really well from way back. And Dan's only had a fairly short time when they overlapped at Glasgow. So we, we just don't know. Sorry, Johnny. Go ahead. Yeah, I think you you guys have both sort of mentioned there the idea of McCann is a and Nako are in the same pack. And I think We've all seen a fair amount of the A's this year and um, know about that tempo that they've been able to play with. And it's obviously more difficult to prove 14 level at Champions Cup level. But I, I suppose to bring that brand of rugby and really implement it in, uh, in the senior team, those three guys playing whatever level of role they're going to would be very exciting to see in the same pack, certainly. But speaking of the A's, um, we have a question in from Martin McGoon. With confirmation of Kieran Campbell's departure, are there early candidates for the rule? And following on from Willie Anderson's retirement, can we be confident that the academy will maintain the standards that they have set in recent years? I suppose you look at that team on Friday, nine of the starting 15 had come through during Kieran Campbell's tenure as head of the academy. John Andrew had sort of just made his debut in, in and around that time that Kieran Campbell went from acting head of the academy to... Uh, Permanent head of the academy. So the difficulty with this, from my perspective, I suppose, is that it's three to five years before you can really judge the work that an academy has been been doing because of the time it takes for these guys to come through, basically from, you know, NTS level, finishing school, coming through into the first year of the academy and second year of the academy before we sort of see them make their debut. And really third year, if we go off the basis of like Mike Laurie, James Hume, Stuart Moore, before you see them really, I suppose, become regulars in the team. So one, what do we think about just what Martin's asking there? Of how can we be sure that the good work that we've seen from the academy is going to continue and even be improved upon as well? Because there are obviously areas, and I'm thinking primarily of in the forwards, where you'd like to see a few more coming through as well. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I've been with the academy quite a bit this year and last year, and I must say that I pay, pay uh, massive credit to Kieran Campbell and, and to Willie Anderson for all the work that they have uh, they produced with the team and the players that have brought through over the last number of years. Um, it has been, it's been very good. But there's been another man, to be fair, to uh, has been involved in that as well, and that's Michael Black. And Michael has sort of uh, been like the director of rugby or the manager of the academy age grade system and, and the pathway through to the senior team. And Michael is still there. And he, he obviously will lead whatever is going forward in, 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 in conjunction with Dan uh, and, and who they bring in 
will obviously be somebody who has got the, the right criteria for the job. And the players that are in there, we, we have sort of touched on a few of them at the minute, and, and they are exciting. You know, Tom Stewart uh, at Hooker, and, and you have um, uh, Harry Sheridan, a young second row, who is a big lump of a lad who is going to come through, I'm sure. Connor Mac, uh, McMenamin, uh, letter, I think he's from Letter Kenny. Mm. He's only goal man anyway, and and, and Connor's another young cub who who uh, who looks as if he's going to come through as well. So there's lots of young talent in that pool already that just need nurtured through. Johnny Graham, don't forget, is still there, and he's he's working with the forwards. So I don't think it's doom and gloom, and it's a good question that Martin has has asked. But um, I think that Blackie and and Dan will will put the right person in in, in place to take over. Uh, and move it forward. And I, th- I don't think there's any worries that also the Ulster Academy will still produce good young talent. Yeah, and I Perhaps. think it's especially important for those forwards that you mentioned there that we see a few of them come through. Maybe Ruben Crothers as well. As, uh, yes, yeah. Somebody else. We haven't seen much of him, I suppose, in an Ulster setup, but he was somebody that I think we all like the look of when he was playing um, schools rugby whenever we, uh, <laughs> whenever we were able to watch schools rugby. Oh. M- Michael, the elephant in the room here is going to be that people have seen Rory Best involved with the side during that last A game that was broadcast by the BBC. Willie Falloon, somebody else that's been spoken about. Do you think that this is an appointment that needs a high-profile player like that? Or, sorry, a high-profile former player like that? Or is it simply a case of, if you know what I mean, the idea is that they're getting the job done. It doesn't matter who's doing it. Yeah, uh, million-dollar question, really, isn't it? And just even before I even attempt an answer at that, I mean, how do you even go about filling your ranks to the academy next year when there's been no schools rugby? There's a, you know, how on earth do you go about doing that? Um, which in itself might lead into answering the question in a way because you could put a high-profile person in a big name, but they may not necessarily know exactly what's going on at a level, the level below the feeder level. So you really do need someone, I think, who's got a feel for what is going on and someone also who's understanding the impact the pandemic is going to have on recruiting the next wave through of players who simply, well, let's face it, haven't played, have they? So, you know, the Schools Cup didn't complete last year. Uh, The Schools Cup didn't get going at all uh, this season in any shape or form, though I think we've got a question coming up on that, so I'll I'll leave that for the time being. But whoever you put in, I think, you know, you, you, the person has to have the knowledge and has to have the ability to be able to identify the talent coming through and to know about the talent coming through. And particularly at this time, with there having been such a big break, to know who the, the key people are, who they need to be looking at, even though they haven't been playing, as opposed to maybe somebody who might come along and know a certain, you know, for sake of very best, know everything about scrums and lineouts, but not necessarily have that knowledge about the players coming through. But, you know, it is, I, I don't know how, to, I don't know what the answer to that question is. It very much depends on how Ulster Rugby look at, at the sort of person they want to head this up. Maybe they just want someone at the top of it to direct others. I, I, I really don't know what way they're going to look at it, but um, it, it's certainly going to be quite a challenge. Follow Kieran and also quite a challenge now once the, we've got this idea that the academy is producing players who are coming through to ensure that this conveyor belt continues. And of course, the, the gays, that's another thing, goes outside of Ulster as well. It's not just within Ulster. Uh, like people like Cormac uh, Isichukwu who've come through 
it's a tricky one. Honestly, I don't I don't know the answer. I could waffle forever here, but we don't have that. We don't have enough time, so I don't know what the answer is. But I think whoever it does take it is going to have to know their onions. Put it that way. Yeah, it's a very good point because obviously Kieran Campbell was steeped in um, Ulster underage rugby, and before he was promoted to the job that he will be leaving, and Willie Anderson had obviously been in the schools game for so long. So yeah, they were obviously very much of that environment before they came to the academy but i suppose you also hear so many when you talk to these guys that have been brought into the academy from other provinces and you hear about you know kieran campbell going to give them the hard sell perhaps there's nobody better to uh play that sort of role than somebody with the standing and stature of somebody like roy best or willie fallon um obviously willie fallon through the club game and the school game can maybe uh take both boxes I suppose but it would be dependent on whether he wants to leave the rules that he's had such success in with Armagh but we'll move on from the academy because away from Ulster we obviously had the Six Nations finale for Ireland so Mark Dempsey has asked is Ireland's recent win over England a false dawn or a sign that the current coaching ticket is headed in the right direction while MPC asks on the England victory are we back to the sad old days where beating them makes our six nations so these are if you like the two million dollar questions if we take the six nations as a whole obviously Ireland progressed through saving their best performance from last but when we next see Ireland unlikely to be the summer more likely to be November but whenever we next see them (laughs) are we expecting more of the same of what we saw on Saturday I think we have to Uh, you know when you look back at the Welsh game and um, what happened after the red card, you know, at the, at the, let's be honest, Ireland were the better team on the day and deserved to win the game. We didn't win it. We were, the, we were the better team, you know, probably for a spell against France and we didn't win it. So it was always there or thereabouts that we were, were going to produce something. And unfortunately, probably Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray and those sort of boys who are the older the boys in the team were taking a lot of flack. And I can understand exactly why um, they didn't, but weren't playing particularly well. And what happened at the weekend was they just turned up, and they were both excellent. Uh, you couldn't, you can't fault them, and fair play to them. But what what has been satisfying for me is to see Ian Henderson, and to see Rob Herring in particular, both those two guys in particular, really um, getting the run of games and showing some very decent form. Uh, I thought Hendy was excellent again on Sunday. Uh, and Rob Herring was just a long son here. He, you know, he, he his tackling, his line out throwing, I think he was nine out of ten, and um his work rate around the pitch, his scrummaging, everything that he did was good at the weekend, as was Big Ian. And it's and it's been it's been consistent. It's not just been in and out of games, it's been like that from the word go this year. And that's been very satisfying for me from being an Ulster man to see those two guys putting their hands up and, and actually getting a decent run at it and, and you know here potentially Lions both of them <laughs> you know that's what we're hoping for and for me that was been the good thing and I don't, I don't think it's a worry I think Mark asked said it was you know is it another false dawn beating England no I don't think it is mm-hmm. I think that was a performance that went out that went out and they and they executed it from start to finish um, and they deserve to win the game and with a better team by a mile. Great. Yeah, and I think certainly Ian Henderson, I think you think back to December and you thought that this was going to be a year, almost a lost year for him because it looked like he was going to miss the Six Nations. That obviously would have nixed his 
Lions chances entirely. So I think for him to come back has been a huge plus. I think the increased exposure for guys like Will Connors, Tag Byrne, who's obviously not a young player, but has been brilliant throughout this championship and really cemented his own uh, his own spot in Ireland's first 15, whether that be six or at lock when James Ryan has been out, has been a huge plus. I think the return to form of Robbie Henshaw has been massive. Another one who's probably gone from what we would have thought as the fringes of a potential Lions squad to almost a, a starter, you would say, for the Lions on the back of the Six Nations. The return of Tyke Furlong, another one maybe as a huge positive. So just, I suppose, in relation to that idea of are we allowing the Six Nations to be defined by the fact that they beat England and we don't care about anything else? I think there are other positives to take from it. But a huge thing is going to be, as I think Rob Herring said, as Johnny Sexton said, is building on that and making sure that that, I suppose, attacking intent, if you like, and attacking accuracy doesn't go back to what we saw in the France game whenever we next see this team together. Because even if they do turn the summer, it's not going to be this version of Ireland because of Lions call-up. So it's a strong note to build upon. And I think, especially coming on the back of two previous wins, but for this to be remembered fondly and not just be remembered as, you know, another big day where we beat England and didn't really do anything else in the championship, Ireland need to just keep building, keep progressing and keep widening that player pool. You know, obviously Will Connors missed out of the last game through injury, but, you know, see more of him, see more of Caelan Doris, even more of Craig Casey, if that's going to be the route they're going to go down. But Someone else actually hasn't been mentioned, Hugo Keenan. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was mentioned as being been just just so so good uh, at the back and, and it really seems to have solved any issues that there might have been about whether or not Jacob should be playing 15 or not that would appear to be something that also was highly positive uh, uh, that, that's come out of the Six Nations I suppose as well yeah absolutely one thing that I think taking another positive in the Autumn Nations Cup England dominated Ireland in the Six Nations, the previous Six Nations, they dominated them. They physically dominated them. At the weekend, Ireland dominated England, and you know that was positive. And you know that I was getting worried that you know it was going to be a psychological thing. Oh, here come England again. They're going to smash us, and they didn't. And Ireland were very physical. They were very accurate at the breakdown. They didn't give as many penalties away. And um, I think competing for the balls, um, I Stander and um, and Tag Burn, as you say, uh, over the top of the ball, brilliant. And England were beaten off the park. And that is a positive that you cannot uh, <laughs> as much. You know, you, you just have to say, well done, <laughs> for the performance. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it will be a while before we see Ireland again to, uh, I suppose, get a firmer grasp on the direction that they're heading. And I didn't think after that France game that I would be saying it's unfortunate that we won't see Ireland again for a while. But uh, But there we are. So just a few more listener questions to get to, guys, if you don't mind. Thanks again to all of them that came in. So we have just one, as Michael has previously mentioned, on the Schools Cup. And what do we think the likelihood of seeing any schools rugby post-Easter is? Obviously, there's difficulties with insurance because you have a very hard cutoff of June because it, once they're not students anymore, they can't be insured to play in the Schools Cup. But Michael... As someone who's uh, really heads up our coverage of the Schools Cup, what, what do you think, even in your own mind, is 
the likelihood of seeing any schools rugby this year, or is it just going to be a lost year? Oh, I hated that lead up. Oh, as someone who uh, I know, someone who covers the game. Yes, I've got to answer this now, haven't I? Oh, I haven't spoken to anybody for a while now, but one of the last times, say a month or two back, there was certainly a hope that it, it could well be played um, in some format, a slightly different format, a, a shortened format, maybe in May, late April, May, there was an idea. I, I genuinely don't know where that idea is now. I'm sure that nobody, especially the sponsors, don't want to see the cup shared again. Um, this year, and that probably goes right across all the schools' um, competitions. Whether or not the fact that there aren't actually exams to sit will maybe widen that window, assuming everything's okay coronavirus-wise, to get people out again, I don't know. But, it, you know, the, the window is, though, though there may be a window opening, it's constantly narrowing at the same time because, you know, time is, is ticking away and I'm, I'm not aware of any uh, firm concrete plan as to what might be done. I, I don't know if Beaker's heard anything different about it, but I'm sure all of us would very much like to think that perhaps in some way, some form of competition might be able to be played before the summer. No, Michael, I haven't heard any, anything different from you there. You know, I just I just think it's um, very sad that for the young boys who have gone through all their school career looking forward yeah. to playing in the Schools Cup and just to have that taken away from them and no fault of their own it's just the way things have gone it's just very very unfortunate like I know how you know how enjoyable that whole schools cup is we all played schools cup rugby at some point in our career I have a young fellow win two of them which I know with excitement around all of it I just feel so sorry for the boys are missing out I don't think there will be anything this year I, I honestly cannot <laughs> see unless they have a seated version where only the top schools are involved in it. And then that, does it take away from the competition? Like it's, a, it's the whole thing about the cup is that everybody's in it. I just, well, you know, yes, I would like to say if, if there was a possibility in it, I'd love to see it. Um, but, you know, you say that window's narrowing very quickly. It is. And if they're going to do it, they're going to have to really strip it right back. I, I don't know what the value of, of doing that would be. You just don't want to see... I'm sure you don't want this turn up or anyone have to do a photo shoot of both captains. Actually, no, they couldn't do that. Sorry, what am I talking about? They, they couldn't do that because, they're, you know, at least last year we got to the final. But uh, throughout its uh, very, very long history, I think, am I right in thinking that last year and one other year early in the 20th century were the only years it's not been played? The previous year, the previous time that it wasn't played was just because um, they had a falling out about whether the final would be in Belfast or whether it would be in Chloe. And I think Chloe and were sick of coming to Belfast. So they just said, no, we're not doing it. Uh, yeah. You always think it's going to be something to do with, um, you know, world wars or something like that. But no, 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 prior, to, no. prior to coronavirus, it was just uh, a fallout about everything always being in Belfast, I think, was... Uh, was the issue but that is about all we have time for this week so we will be back next week as i say with a show that will almost exclusively look towards the big uh, challenge cup last 16 game with harlequins but in the meantime michael sadler thank you very much thanks very much indeed and john dixon thank you very much again for joining us as always thank you johnny and can i say you're a fantastic host <laughs> better than gareth you can say that if you want <laughs> you, certainly, you certainly know your rugby <laughs> well yes there's no there's no doubting that yeah he did a great job Johnny I should have said great job it's not easy to step into Gareth's shoes 
but I think you've you've managed it very successfully. Well, in that, on that note of in no way sought after praise, we shall bring the curtain down on my one and hopefully only week of hosting so far.